Hi, it's Shelley Flett, and I'm so excited that you're joining me to listen to the Dynamic Leader podcast. The podcast is centered around my book, The Dynamic Leader, and includes reading of the chapters, along with interviews with leaders in a number of different industries. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to get yourself a copy of The Dynamic Leader, either online through booktopia.com or at any good bookstore. I'm passionate about creating the next generation of dynamic leaders and sharing tools and experiences that can completely transform an individual, a team, or a whole organization. I ask that you listen with curiosity and be open to taking on different perspectives. I hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Dynamic Leader podcast. I'm really excited today to have uh, one of my most favorite leaders of all time and a very, very dear friend of mine, um, Islam Hassan, who is the head of growth at Westpac, join me today. Thanks, Izzy, for agreeing to this. No worries. It's a pleasure to be here, Shelley. Thanks for having me. It's so awesome to talk with you about leadership when you were there at the very beginning of my leadership journey and um, the, what I learned from you um, and I, you know, I talk about the dynamic leader being um, become the leader that others are inspired to follow and you are the leader that I was always inspired to follow. So I want to thank you for that. Oh my God. That's amazing. Thank you so much. That's very flattening. I really appreciate that. It's great <laughs> feedback. Um, so, but I know you didn't get to where you got to when you first um, were leading me um, straight away. Tell us a little bit about you know, what was your journey to leadership. Tell me about the bumps that you had in your early days. Sure, sure. Look, it, it, it's a very interesting story. I, I started off um, in hospitality. So, you know, as a, as a 16 year old doing work experience for school, um, I, I landed a job at McDonald's and, and that was really the start of, start of my leadership journey. And, you know, one of the great things about McDonald's is they, they, they invest a lot of time and energy and money in uh, developing their people into becoming good leaders. And, and I was very fortunate very early on in, in my piece there to, to go through a, a number of good kind of courses there. And, you know, I wanted to be the CEO of McDonald's. That was what I was aspiring to do um, as a 16 year old doing, you know, three, four, five, and it got up to six or seven shifts a week because I just loved the organization. I loved the structure. Um, I loved obviously earning money as a young kid as well. And, um, you know, did a number of courses there, got, got, and was one of the youngest uh, store managers um, within the McDonald's group. Um, and, um, you know, realized probably a couple of years down the track that I was hungry for a more um, corporate kind of environment as opposed to hospitality and started applying for roles. And, you know, I hadn't done very well at school. I wasn't very focused academically. Um, I was probably more of a street smart kind of a person. Um, and then started applying for roles. And I, I thought of myself as a really good leader. So I applied for really senior leadership roles. And then back then, um, you'd pick up the paper and you'd start applying for roles um, that were in the paper. And I was handwriting applications in the, in the McDonald's office um, in Springvale. And of course, uh, no real academic experience, no uh, broad breadth of experience. Uh, I got a lot of no's. Um, and it wasn't until this one company came up called um, uh, OneTel, um, which was an up and coming telecommunications company. Um, that was looking for account managers. And I saw that role in the paper. I said, it's an account management role. Perfect. That's, that's me. 
Um, and I didn't have to put in an application, I just have to ring a number and in 30 seconds say why I should get an interview. Um, so I did that and remember driving into the city, um, the interview was on the 37th level of the Rialto Towers um, and I walked into the building and I saw Port Phillip Bay corporate offices and I said, oh my God, I've found my, I've found the future. This is what I want to do. Sat in, group interview, um, and then realised, you know, once I got the role, um, I realised it was basically a telemarketing role. It was selling dollar phones over the telephone. Um, and I remember at the time being really, really disappointed and saying, did I give up a leadership role at McDonald's to sell phones over the telephone. But it wasn't until probably two to three weeks in, I realized I was pretty good at it. I loved talking to people. I loved relating to people. Um, I was very good at achieving my targets. Um, and I made a lot of money. You know, there was a lot of really good money in, in those days in, in selling um, telecommunications products. And then realized six months in that I had this craving. I, I, I really enjoyed leading people. That was one of the things that I loved about McDonald's. You know, at any given time, you had, you know, 15 people that you led. So I started applying for roles. Um, and because OneTel was this huge organization that was growing so rapidly, there were a lot of team leader type roles that were coming up. And I'd apply and I'd get rejection after rejection after rejection. And I was probably the best salesperson there, but I just couldn't get a role in a leadership um, capacity. So every time I, I got knocked back, I'd ask the question, what do I need to do in order to get this role? And the response was, you need to have call center leadership experience. And I'm like, but I've got leadership experience. Does it matter that I don't have call center? It's like, well, you need to have call center experience. But there was a challenge, right? Like how do you get call center leadership experience if no one's willing to give you a crack? So there was kind of three things I could have done then. The first thing was I could have just remained selling mobile phones and earning a heap of money, which I was and enjoying it as a 21, 22 year old. The second option was I could have left and kind of thrown all the toys out of the cot and found another role somewhere else. Or there was this third option, which I took. And this option that I took was probably the defining moment for my career. I decided to go up to my boss um, or a team, team manager at the time and I said, because I used to work between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. every day. And I said, I'd love to just follow you around between 5 p.m. and 8 p.m. because that's when his shift finished. Um, and he immediately said, well, why would you want to do that? I'm not paying you to follow me around. I said, look, you don't need to pay me. I just want to follow you around for my own development, see what you do and learn it and understand it and so forth. Um, it took a little bit of convincing, but he said, yeah, that's fine. I'm not paying for it. You know, you're going to do it. How long are you going to do it for? I said, I'd like to do it for three months. And Shelley, in those three months, I learned what he did really well. I learned how he did his role. I learned how he ran his reports, but I also learned something really important. Some of the things he didn't do too well. Um, and, and more particular around how he dealt with his people, how he responded to customers, how he prioritized because I shadowed him, I was able to see some of the things that he was doing well, but some of the things he wasn't doing well. The rest is pretty history because, um, you know, as soon as he went on annual leave, I think a month later, I was given that role to step in because I had basically started doing parts of his role while he was there. And he saw that I was pretty reliable. And um, I believe that it's that single moment of kind of 
taking a risk and saying, you know what, I'm not going to wait for someone to give me an opportunity. I'm actually going to, you know, throw myself in, you know, self-educate to a certain extent. Um, and that got me my next role. And then it got me my next role. It's kind of been a philosophy of mine is don't wait for things to come to you. How can you put yourself forward and kind of, you know, you know, grab things by the horn and, 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 and take control of them yourself and, and, and make it happen. And it's been, been a great career since. That is so awesome. I love it. And I, I think we had that conversation and it was even something that I, um, that I did to get exposure to another area, which has led to, uh, which opened up a lot of opportunities. So it's such a, um, it's such a small investment to make in mm. the larger scheme of things. But do you think it's interesting around how many people don't want to do that because there's no immediate short-term benefit. Yeah, look, I think, I think leadership is an investment. Like, you, you know, and, and, and sometimes taking a step, a sidestep or, 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 or a step in a direction that you may not necessarily feel comfortable with is actually what's going to land you your next role. And if it's not going to land you your next role, it's going to learn, uh, it's going to land you your next relationship. It's going to land you your, your next skill which ultimately you will bring to something else further down the track. I think that, you know, a lot of people um, look at their development as being linear. I need to move from this role to this role to this role. And sometimes even taking a side step or a backward step um, and relearning some things um, can, can be more powerful um, than just going through a, a linear approach or a, a, you know, a hierarchical approach to, to, to growth. I, um, I don't know if you play chess or not, but I always look at the leadership pathway a little bit like a game of chess mm. where you've got to look um, at the overall game. What's your, what's your game strategy, but it mm. also then look at, you know, what moves you've got to make and that it isn't always um, forward that sometimes it is sideways and, and even backwards sometimes. Absolutely. Spot on, spot on, yeah. spot on. Um, and gosh, I could share so many lessons that you taught me um, in the early days. <laughs> I remember one of the big things was, um, you know, Shelley, what, what got you here is not going to be enough to get you to your next role. And that yeah. stung. I remember yeah. it hurt when you said that because I was like, how can you improve on this greatness? <laughs> 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 Only it, to realise. It, it, is, it, is, it is one of those things. That, and, and you know what? Like when you actually stop and think about it, um, it is so true on so many different levels. Like, you know, what, what, what gives you the most growth are the things that you haven't mastered, right? So, you know, when, when you haven't mastered things, when you haven't tackled particular challenges, um, you haven't grown as a leader. And, I, and I'm, I'm a firm believer, um, as you are, um, Shelley, that, you know, being uncomfortable is actually a good thing. It doesn't feel like it at the time, but it actually stretches you and it actually, and even failing, failing is okay. Like there's nothing wrong with failing as long as you take some really good learnings from it and you kind of um, put it into, into the future um, interactions that you have with whether it be people or whether it be specific um, scenarios or, or, or projects moving forward. Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely um, one of those things where it's, a lot of it's around awareness and being able to go, uh, you know, swallow your pride sometimes and, and go, what is it that I 
what is it that I can be doing um, differently? Do you find that um, the longer that you're in leadership, even though the discomfort is still there, you're always learning and growing, that you can better recognise now when you're, you're in it and you can go, yep, okay, this is, this is that time where I'm going to feel uncomfortable. And you can sort of go through the motions but not get too emotionally attached to that. Do you find that you can do that a little bit better now? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's probably been my biggest um, biggest learning as I've kind of evolved as a leader. Uh, there's a there's a few things that are, that that I've changed in myself over the years. One is is don't sweat, you know, um, everything. Like you don't need to worry about everything. Sometimes we we get caught up in trying to tackle every single thing and get it to perfection. Um, and then we kind of miss a lot of other things. Um, my view is, is you know, you, you, you've got to you've got to prioritise, and you've got to you've got to put your energy in kind of achieving, you know, key things as opposed to trying to do too many things. I was I was your classic, you know, long hours um, to do list the size of my whole body, and I wore it as a badge of honour that that I was really really busy. Um, and, 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 and whilst a lot of leaders love people like that and love having people like that on their team, um, the, the question that I always ask is, is are you doing 100 things okay or are you doing five things brilliantly? So that's been one of the, the key things for me is, is kind of synthesising and, and prioritising. Um, the, the second thing um, which I think has been really critical for me is taking emotion out of um, out of things, whether it be um, tasks, whether it be deliverables, um, you know, I, I have a firm belief in, you know, if, if you take the emotion out of it, you, you'll think more rationally as a leader. Um, I think once you, you become emotionally um, driven to, to do something, sometimes you can think irrationally and not hear other perspectives and what other people are thinking. Um, and then, and then probably for me, um, the, the, the third thing for me, which I think um, as a leader, I've, I've kind of worked on over, over many, many, many years um, is connecting with people. I think, you know, I, I've got a fabulous coach, um, you know, and, and who, who's, who's done a lot of work with me over many, many years. And, and one of the biggest things that, that I, I used to do as a young leader was, connect with people, but really connect for ticking the box. So mm. a, a really good example, you walk into the lift and you go, how was your weekend? Which we all do. It was great. And then you walk out and say, enjoy the rest of your day, as opposed to actually connecting and saying, well, what was great about your weekend? And, and, and doing it not because it's a tick the box, but because what you're building, the relationship you're building with that person is trust. Um, and it goes so far. And I think for me, one of the things that I've really worked on is that building trust and relationships with people at all levels, not just above in terms of senior people, but more importantly, people that um, are your peers and then people that are not your peers that are, you know, in, in other parts of the other parts of your business, both professionally and personally. And I think that's been for me, the biggest, biggest development in my leadership journey mm. over the, over the years. So given that you were this, um, really fast paced, do everything, work long hours, achieve, achieve, achieve to get to the point where you actually have to connect with people that requires slowing down. How, Absolutely. Did, you, how did you manage that, 
the need to continue to go fast as well as the need to slow down. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it's a tough one because I think um, depending on the environment you're working in and, and the needs of the business and where things are, where things are heading, I, I think it's probably just having a bit of a reality check um, and, and reminding yourself to what are you going to get out of a task being completed? And I used to work for a lady. Um, she was the first lady I used to work with at ANZ. Um, her name's Danielle Curry. And, and one of the things she told me um, was sometimes failing something or taking a little bit longer to do something is actually good because if that means you're developing someone to do something and you're working through that process, then that's a delay that's worthwhile. Whereas I was always of the opinion that if I don't do things in the time that I've said I'm going to do it, then I'm failing. But in actual fact, I was failing because I was doing long hours and, and trying to tick all these boxes without pushing back on her and saying, you know what, Danielle, rather than me do that task, I'm going to develop this person and it's going to take an extra couple of weeks because I'm going to need to work with that person to get them up to speed and to ensure that they deliver something and that it's developed them as part of that process. And I think that lesson from Danielle many, many, many years ago has helped me because, you know, I'm not afraid to push back and say, well, okay, well, if that's something that needs to be done, who, rather than me doing it, because I can do it, like there's no reason I can't, but how do I take this opportunity to develop someone else to do it and build enough time so as at the end of that process, they've come out of it developed and they've delivered something of substance and that reflects on my brand as well as a leader because not only have I developed someone, but I've also um, achieved something um, more broadly that has been requested of me. So that, I think that yeah. that's the best way to slow down to actually get some really good, good outcomes, get outcomes through others. It doesn't have to be through you. And that's, I think, a measure of a really, really um, mature leader is to say, well, I don't have to do it myself. I need to work with others and develop them. So as they can do it. And then hopefully down the track, they do the same because, yeah. you know, they, they, they see that trait and they want to do it, do it to someone else. hundred percent. I love that. And, um, you know, it's interesting. A lot of the leaders that I'm working with at the moment, I'm actually working with them to build capability, not dependency, which is exactly mm -hmm. what, you know, you're talking about there is, am I investing in this person so that they can go and then do this and develop and learn and grow and that I, I'm not needed, which means that I can be freed up to do work on smarter things, like work on the more yeah. strategic kind of side of the business. Um, Absolutely. And I remember, um, I actually remember you developing <laughs> at one point in time. I remember this time I came into your office and I said, <clears throat> Izzy, the other leader over there is lazy. They don't do what they're, they're supposed to. Their team are running them up. They don't even like them. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Bring back memories. And I think I said it like that as well. Really heated, passionate, you know, over yeah. here you go. I collected all this data for you. Now it's yeah. yours. You go do what yeah. you're supposed to do with it as a leader. And you said to me, well, what have you done about it? And I said, <laughs> well, it's not my job to do anything about it. It's yours. And you said, but I don't have the problem. You do. Mm -hmm. um, and you might've said it nicer, but that's sort of what I, <laughs> <laughs> what I took from it. Um, and then, yeah, you coached me through how to actually have that conversation. If the conversation was worthy enough of having, and I walked away realizing, gosh, I need to stop focusing on what everyone else is doing. <laughs> to mm -hmm. Sort out my own stuff. Um, yeah. 
but I, I was frustrated with you at the time, but I've loved you for it ever since because it's something that I use with the people that I work with as well. <laughs> you know, for leaders, don't get involved in in stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Look, and, and look, and, and it, it's very hard as leaders because we want to solve problems. Um, we, we constantly want to um, rescue people from if they're feeling anxious. Um, but again, you know, I've, I've worked with really good leaders who push back and, and say, well, what are you doing about it? And, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let you throw the monkey on my back um, because ultimately the issue is with, with you and, and, you know, there's a reason why you're bringing it to me and, and nine times out of 10 is because you don't know how to deal with it. So let's solve that problem because if we can solve that problem, we've killed two birds with one stone. One is, is your perception of that person and two is, is your ability to deal with it moving mm. forward. So it's, it's, a, it's a very common one. It wasn't, you, you, you're not the only one, Shelley, that's come, come to me with that kind of um, um, view and, and, and perspective. Um, but I, but I, yeah, when it, whenever I stop someone and say, well, what are you doing about it? There's a, there's a very long pause and, and they're good pauses because I know people are reflecting and they're going, wow, I actually can do something about it. Perhaps I don't believe I should or I don't believe mm -hmm. I can. And then the next conversation is about, okay, well, let's how do we work through those things? And then you become a better leader as a result. And I become a better leader as well. And, and, and the other thing I'd, I'd probably stress to Shelley, because leadership can be one of those, it could be a very lonely role. Um, I, I've learned more from people working for me or with me than the other way. So, you, you, you know, you've highlighted a, a lot of things that I, that you've learned from me and that you've, you know, they've, they've, um, they've had an impact on you. I, I, I would say I've learned more from people who work for me than what I have taught. And I think that's, that's really mm -hmm. important as a leader. And, you know, I've got one, one gentleman who works for me now and you won't mind me using his name, Phil, Phil Pace, um, who's probably one of the, the, the strongest leaders um, that I've ever worked with. And, and he runs a, a large part of my team. He's got a brilliant way with his people. He's very, um, very organized, um, but he's got an amazing relationship with his people. And, you know, every day that I work with him, I learn new things and I, I use them. And I, I'm not afraid to tell him. I, I absolutely say what you did there was fantastic. And so I think it's, it's both ways. I think mm. it's, um, it's really important for us as leaders to say, you know what, we don't have all the answers. And just because I'm in this role doesn't mean that I'm brilliant. In actual fact, I've, I've sat with people on taking a customer service call at Westpac and they've blown me away with the empathy that they've shown, um, you know, how they've prioritized that particular customer and ha haven't worried about anything else. Um, so yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot, lot there to, to kind of take advantage of um, both ways. And so, you know, remaining open and curious and that constant, um, I guess, taking constant opportunities to learn and it can come from anywhere is, um, is without ego, isn't it? Yeah, look, it's, it's the biggest challenge of our lifetime, right? It's, uh, it's, it's getting rid of the ego and, and, and trying to be, you know, there's nothing wrong with being proud of what you're doing and being passionate about what you're doing. But you've also got to understand that not everyone has the same, um, you know, view of some of the things that you have. So 
you're you've got it you've almost got to have and dynamic leadership there we go like it's all about you can't have one static approach just because you've got this huge energy um you've got to be quite dynamic and you've got to have different approaches for different people depending on different circumstances and different um you know moments in time so mm. yeah it's um it's 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 I always enjoy sitting here and, and obviously talking to you, Shelley, which we do a lot, um, talking about some of the learnings and some of the experiences we've had. And, you know, we, we go home and we kind of go, we, we've got the best jobs in the world. Like ultimately we deal with people and, yeah. you know, my goal is to make sure that when I've gone home, I've made a difference. And if I've made a difference to someone from the way that they work, the, how they work, um, you know, how they relate to certain things in the organisation, how they overcome objectives or, 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 or obstacles, then, then I've done my job. Um, you know, I, I don't want to go home and, and tick, tick all these boxes and say, I've, I've, I've done X, Y and Z, but people have gone home and they're anxious. They're still not sure where they stand. They, they're not sure how to overcome a particular perception that they have. Then I haven't, I haven't done my job. And so given that today's topic loosely is around adaptability, <clears throat> how you realise that in other people, you need to be quite flexible in your approach, don't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, different people have different um, value systems as well and, 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 and drivers and, and different circumstances, right? Um, what you demand of your people um, you know, whilst you want to set the, the, the bar high, you want to stretch people and you want them to kind of um, aim for, 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 for greatness and aim for really big things, you've also got to make sure that they're ready for that um, and mm. they, they, they understand the why and, and, and more importantly, they're involved in the why. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's not a... I think energy levels are very, very important to manage. Like, you've got to read the room, you've got to every single person you work with has different value system, different drivers, different, um, different things going on at home even, do you know what I mean? And, and, you know, even different, um, leadership thinking, um, approaches, right? So you've got people that are very highly creative, people that are very organized, people that are, um, you know, high read on the emotional side. You, you can't, you can't have one size fits all. And, and I always remember working, um, at another bank, um, which was um, the bank that we worked at, um, where I used to walk into a branch um, and immediately start talking to the branch manager about, you know, sales results and outcomes and, and stats. And, and I was very much a stats guy. And she would just look at me with a blank face. And, you know, every, every so often she, she'd start, you know, crying and it just, she just didn't want to talk about that. And, we went through the HBDI exercise and I think actually, um, Shelley, you may have been involved in this, but um, we found out that this particular branch manager was off the Richter scale red, right? And she was huge red, right? And, you know, which I is got very, some coaching. Which is very people connected, isn't it? Very, very people, people connected, connected, right? And, and this is part of my journey of learning that it's not one style fits all. Um, and, you know, I got some coaching myself around, okay, well, how do I deal with this differently? And, I walked in, I, th I think, a week after my coaching session with, with her and I sat down and I said, tell me about your weekend. Talk to me about your two daughters. Um, she had twin daughters. Um, and the, the relationship just 
grew significantly. And, and, you know, by the time I'd finished that meeting, we were talking about the results of the branch outcomes, everything, but I connected with her on a level that I needed to, and, and I should have, I should have in the first place. And, and that's my point. Whereas someone else may be very high yellow and wants to talk mm. about concepts and creativity and, and, and great things that they're thinking about. Every person's different. And I think, I, you know, it's very hard for some of us to kind of, um, adapt, but I think there's some really good tools out there that if you use them, you can actually learn so much about your people. So as you can adapt your leadership style to get the best out of them. And I've noticed you, um, because I think, you know, being able to adapt is really important. I think the awareness of where our strengths lie and where our development opportunities lie is also really important. And you've mentioned a couple of times um, through the conversation around having having a coach um, and you actually invested in me with my first coach and, and I have had numerous coaches since and even became a coach myself um, <laughs> because of the value. But, you know, what, what value do you see in having that, that coach, the external kind of person who's unbiased? Mm, yeah, look, I, I, I always, I always say, um, if you're in a coaching conversation and 80% of the time you're nodding or shaking your head, you're not being coached. Right. And, and I'm a, I'm a firm believer in a really good coach as you are, Shelly, is someone who can, you know, we all have the answers. We all actually have the answers and we all know what our strengths are and what our, you know, demons are to a certain extent. A really good coach is someone who stretches your thinking and, 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 and pushes you, to come up with the answers. And I think, you know, very early on in my career, I, I was, I went through a, an advanced coaching course, which transformed my life because, you know, again, the term of you're not going to put the monkey on my back, um, you know, was, was one that was used where it's, you know, the amount of times you're in a coaching conversation and you, and the coach turns around and says, what do you think? And why do you think that's the case? And using silence and actually having a really good conversation where, the person has nowhere to go, right? Um, transform my life. It made me not just a better leader, but it made me a better parent. It made me a better husband. Um, you know, and 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 you know, I, I I one of the things that I always do, and you know, you've you've obviously um, done some work with some of my leaders as well, Shelley, is invest in a good investing in a really good coach um, is really going to transform your life. It's not just going to transform your career or get you a next job. It's going to challenge your thinking. It's going to ensure that you address all the demons that you already know you have. Um, they're there. Like you can't lie to yourself. Like they're there. Um, and it, it gives you perspective. It gives you, um, it gives you um, a great deal of, um, experience from someone else who's who, who is who, who is skilled in making sure that everything that is on your mind actually comes out through that coaching conversation and that you are clear on what you're going to do next and how you're going to do it and and 90 percent of that is already within you it's a really good coach is someone who can get get it get it out of you so and have you and there's different um you know i've had a number of different coaches um, through throughout my career and um, have got different value out of out of different people. So have you had different coaches through yeah, yeah, your yeah. career as well? 
I've had coaches that I've hated as in, and, and when I say hated, I've hated at the time, but then I've loved them after, as you mentioned, right? You, you, you kind of go, I can't believe, um, you know, that session went the way it did. But then you kind of two weeks down the track, you go, oh my God, I've grown so much as a result of that. And, and some of the stuff was pretty confronting and the responses were pretty confronting. So I think I, I always say to people, you don't need to be comfortable to have a good coaching conversation. You actually need to feel uncomfortable. Um, so don't automatically go to someone who is making you feel comfortable. Like, don't get me wrong, being comfortable is great, but you'll actually grow more and learn more about yourself and what you need to do if you're actually in a state of being uncomfortable. Um, but I've had many, I've had, um, I've had executive coaches, I've had um, leadership coaches, i.e. My, my direct leader. Um, and I've coached myself, right? And I, 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 you know, I think that the key, the key thing is also seeking feedback. If, yeah. if you've got a lot of feedback, then you've got a lot of data points that you can actually have a coaching conversation on. So, you know, if you're doing, if you're doing a, um, a coaching session with someone and someone has told you that, you know, from their perspective, they don't see that you're empathetic, then talk about that and then see if, see if that's something that, you know, from a coaching perspective, you can address. Um, use use data and use feedback of others and perceptions of others to actually um, address some of the some of the opportunities that you, you you've got. Mm. Yeah, it's really um, really important to be able to you know take on different perspectives and start to become more aware and adaptable um, in your approach. Um, let me ask, what does the what does the future of leadership look like in your opinion? Yeah, I think I think you know, even with everything happening around the world with COVID, I think um, I think leaders today have gone through such a huge transition in the last three, four months. Um, and they've realised that you don't need to be um, in front of people. You don't need to be watching them. You don't need to be, you know, counting how many times they got off their seats to be effective what's happened with COVID in the last few months has it forced leaders to realise that you've got to have a level of trust and you're forced to have a level of trust of your people. And, and every leader that I've spoken to has been amazed as to how well people have um, adapted to the new world. You know, like Westpac's a prime example. We have hundreds and hundreds of people working from home. I think that's from our call centres, but we've got, you know, over 20,000 people working from home. Now, you know, I know for a fact that, you know, productivity hasn't dropped. If anything, it's improved. Collaboration hasn't dropped. It's improved. You know, like I, we've all, we've all, you know, we've all set up our, our offices at home and we are more connected today than we were when we we're in the physical sense. So I think, I think leadership for me, um, over the next, certainly over the next 12 months, will um, adapt to this new world. Um, I think there's still a lot of people that um, they're not brilliant at leading remotely. Um, so I think that's a, a capability gap that a lot of organisations haven't invested in. And, and to be quite frank, Shelley, I think a lot of organisations, even senior leaders struggle with managing remotely. So I think there's, a, there's an element there. Um, I think... One one thing that I want to that I think will also change is um, this concept of 
you know, we have this view of you are a leader for a team or for a group of people. I, I, I can see that changing in the future. Um, you know, people use the term, the Uberization um, of particular industries or particular roles. I kind of feel like even with, with what's happened in the last few months that that's been challenged. Like you mm. don't physically need 15 people as your spans of control and that's kind of a tick the box. I actually think there's going to be some evolution there. I think technology will play a huge part with, with leadership moving forward. I think, you know, once you fix the capability piece in terms of how, how leaders um, need to think differently to, to, to manage workforces remotely and so forth, I think the technology element's gonna also be a, a, huge, a huge piece because let's be honest, outside of Zoom and Microsoft Teams and so forth, that's basically how organizations are running themselves at the moment, um, working from home. Um, but I also think digital um, is going to be huge. So, I, like everyone keeps talking about this whole concept of digitization, and um, you know the world is changing digitally, but it is right. And um, how do we as leaders um, adapt to that's going to be important. And then, and then probably the the last the last bit from a leadership perspective is um, again. You know, when I, when I think of some of the, the best leaders that I've got, they've invested in their continual growth and their continual development. Um, I think, you know, with the world heading the way it is and with people working from home, leaders working from home, we've got to make sure that we don't drop the ball on continually developing leaders, right? So coaching has historically been one-on-one, face-to-face. I've got to be in a room with you. Um, you know, even workshops, they've got to be face-to-face. Develop, I, I see there's a risk with what's happened with COVID where we drop the ball on developing people. And mm. I, I certainly think it's even more important now that we develop leaders and leaders of leaders, um, even more so because they're remote and they're not face-to-face because mm. it's, it's, it's just as important as it, as it ever has been. I, I love that. And I've seen um, over the last, you know, th- three or four months um, since I've been delivering coaching and workshops and all of those things through Zoom is that um, it can be just as effective and sometimes even more effective mm. um, to learn and develop in a remote environment. Because when you have break time, people are breaking and they're, they're sitting with it themselves they're sitting with their thoughts. They're not occupying themselves with those conversations that kind of happen around the coffee machine and that kind of thing um, is that there seems to be a lot more deeper reflection that goes on. If you can, Mm. if you can encourage them to stay off, like off the distractions like email and the, the chat kind of platforms that they use. um, Yeah. It's really interesting that how powerful the Mm. virtual environment can be for learning and development. So that's awesome to hear you kind of say that. Mm. Um, so I've got uh, one final question and I'm loving our conversation. I could talk to you for hours, <laughs> days um, about, you know, your thoughts around leadership. Uh, but I've got a bit of a question and it's more metaphorical because mm. I've, I've kind of developed a love for metaphors. Um, and so, and this is the last question. So if, if leadership was like a food or a dish, what would it be? Oh, look, my, my uh, you know me, Shelley, I am a huge fan of spaghetti marinara. So my wife and I, Zena, we, um, we 
have had this challenge where we go to every single Italian restaurant in Melbourne and have the marinara and we score it out of 10. And you can't have a 10 out of 10 because a 10 out of 10 means there is nothing else that will ever be better. So the challenge stops, right? So if you have a 10 out of 10, there is the, the, the challenge. You can never find a better marinara. So the best is always a nine and a half, right? And, um, you know, we've been doing this now for probably a couple of years and we've probably been to about 60 different places. And there's there's <laughs> one restaurant that I'll give, a, give them a plug because I do love them, which is 400 Grady, which is a nine and a half out of 10, right? And what makes the nine and a half out of 10 better than a lot of other really good marinaras is it's got the right balance, right? It's got the right balance of flavors. It's not overwhelming in any one ingredient, um, but you can, you can appreciate every part of the dish. And I think that's probably the way that I would go. It's, you know, it's a 400 gradi linguini pescatore is what it's called. And it's perfectly balanced, bloody expensive. Um, it's probably the probably the most expensive marinara in Melbourne, but it's um it's definitely well worth it. And and you know we before lockdown had the pleasure of um, going and, and having having one, um, and it's just it never fails. So a couple of thoughts is that is a whole lot of spaghetti marinara dishes that you've had over the last um but i love the um i love you know the concept of leadership being like spaghetti marinara it's, it's yeah. the balance it's the and and also um you've got to pay for the best like it, mm-hmm. there's there's time and investment and that kind of thing that's gone into it um so mm-hmm. ah, and a lot of practice stuff. right and a lot of practice no doubt All loads of practice lots of failures no doubt um mm-hmm. as well um uh, so izzy thank you so much from the bottom of my heart i love love having conversations with you i really appreciate you coming on um the podcast with me so thank you it's been a pleasure thanks shelly thanks for having me and for anyone who wants to connect with um izzy i'm going to put his linkedin profile uh in the um bio and or in the comments and um yeah definitely he's one to follow and stay connected with for sure so thank you everyone for listening and i will see you again next week hear you again next week thanks so much for listening to this episode of the dynamic leader podcast i hope you found some value in it my biggest mantra in life is to pay it forward as a leader you have your own unique experience and this could make a huge difference to someone else so i encourage you to tell your leadership story your failures and your successes along with what you've learned along the way let's make the leadership playground safe enough for leaders to fall and get back up again. By the way, if you have a leadership story that is worth telling, I'd love to hear from you and even have you on one of my podcasts. So drop me a note and let's have a conversation. Thanks so much for listening.